Today we are continuing on in our series in Mark. We've been in it for the last uh, couple of months now. We've been going through the book of Mark, which is one of the New Testament Gospels. And we've been going through week by week, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, passage by passage, looking at the life of Jesus um, and trying to work out what was it that he did that was so extraordinary. What can we learn from him today as his followers that will set us up excellently in life? Uh, How did he do things? How did he heal people? What was it like when he talked to people? How did he demonstrate generosity and kindness and power all at the same time? And so we've been going through bit by bit. And last time we were in the book of Mark, we were looking at an interaction between Jesus and one of his disciples, Peter, um, who was trying to convince Jesus that he didn't have to go and die on a cross. He was like, that's a really bad idea, Jesus. Don't do that. And Jesus is like, you don't get it. I need to do that. If I don't do that, humanity will not be saved. And so he's sort of telling Peter, I need to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world so that grace could be given to the world. And so that's where we pick up the story today. They've just had that conversation uh, and we pick it up six days later straight after that conversation Um, and at the very end of that conversation it ends with Jesus saying I tell you the truth some of you um, today will not taste death before you see the power of the Lord the kingdom of heaven invade earth and so that's where we pick up this conversation Uh, we're in Mark chapter 9 we're reading from verses 2 to 13 it says this Uh, Also, if you need a Bible, we have some Bibles on the end of the rows. If you've not got a Bible with you today, just put your hand up and somebody will magically make a way to find a Bible there its way towards you. If not, um, that's fine. You can totally read along on your phone. Or if you've memorized the whole Bible in your head and you don't need it at all, go for that too. Congratulations to you. Okay, Mark chapter 9, verse 2 to 13. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses. Now, Elijah and Moses were two people from the Old Testament. Moses was the person, if you've heard of the Ten Commandments, Moses was the guy who got the Ten Commandments. And Elijah was a prophet, and he did God's work in an incredible way in the Old Testament as well. So they kind of represent the law and the prophets. They're the two kind of people who head that up for the Old Testament. So Elijah and Moses were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I love the brackets bit here. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Typical Peter. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why is it written that the the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wished just as it is written about him. And I love that ultimately in this passage, uh, Jesus, it's about his uh, divinity, uh, his humanity being peeled back and his divinity being displayed. Jesus is saying, this, this is the son of God. This is my son who I love so much. The disciples get to see in this moment like an almost a final confirmation of them that Jesus is the guy he's saying he is. The Lord's presence descends from heaven on the mountaintop and he says, this is my son who I love. The disciples get to see that face-to-face moment. 
And both Moses and Elijah, who they meet on the mountain, these guys had both had previous mountaintop experiences themselves. Moses had gone to the top of the mountain, had received the Ten Commandments at the top of the mountain. Elijah had gone to the top of the mountain, and he was in a state of desperation and hurt and worry. And when he went to the top of the mountain, he had this moment with God where he didn't hear God in a powerful, booming, tornado-like voice. He heard him in this still quiet voice. And so we've had two people who meet on the mountain who've had previous experience with God on the top of the mountain. So this mountaintop moment is significant. The fact that they are meeting on a mountain and the Father's presence descends is significant. Moses is there and Jesus is almost like the fulfillment of the Ten Commandments, the fulfillment of the law. He's there to sort of applaud Jesus as he brings to fulfillment all that happens in the law. And then Elijah's there because Jesus fulfills over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament, prophecies that went back hundreds of years before he was born about what uh, the Messiah would look like. Jesus ticked every single box of every one of those prophecies. And so Elijah is there almost as the celebration of the fulfillment of the prophecy. He's there like, this is the guy. This is the son of God. He is here. He is the fulfillment of all that has been spoken. And I guess what I want us to discover today is what is the importance of the equipping encounter with God? When we come into the Lord's presence, what is the importance of those moments? And how do we prioritize having those moments where the Lord can speak words over our life like he spoke over Jesus, giving us identification, affirmation, and instruction as to where he is asking us to go? And the first thing is this. What we draw from this passage is the importance of answering Jesus' invitation with a yes. Peter, James, and John woke up that morning and Jesus said, why don't you come up a mountain with me? Now, it wasn't like they'd been staying in a five-star hotel for a week and that they were just going out for a casual trek up a mountain um, like you might do on holiday or something like that. These guys have been trekking around the countryside following Jesus for hundreds of miles. They didn't have Nike Air Max back in those days. They didn't have Bergos walking boots. They had sandals on their feet. They would have been calloused. They would have been sore. They would have been blistered. And Jesus says to them that morning, guys, why don't you come up a mountain with me? It would have been so easy for them to say no. And Luke, we actually hear in Luke chapter 9, he says that the further detail is, why don't you come up a mountain with me to pray? Jesus is, that's the invitation he gives them. Why don't you come up a mountain with me to pray? And they could have so easily said no in that moment. They could have been like, Jesus, do you know what? I'm a bit tired today. We walked 25 miles yesterday. My sandals are falling apart. I'm knackered. I'm getting cramp on my legs. Why don't you go on ahead of me? I'll sit this one out today. You go for it. But they don't, they've given him their lives when they chose to follow him. But each day they have to say yes to the new adventure with him. They've already given him their ultimate yes in following him. But each day they have to say yes again to all the new stuff that he's inviting them into. On this particular day, the invitation was to go up a mountain and pray. What they didn't realize was that they were going to meet Father God at the top of that mountain the Holy of Holies, a glorious moment where Jesus' Messiahship was revealed to them beyond a shadow of a doubt. They didn't know that when the invitation was given, but they answered yes to the invitation. Um, I am a massive fan. I don't know if anybody's ever watched Storage Wars or Storage Hunters or anything like that. 
if you're not, and you're lying to yourself, I know that, you're just pretending that you're above it. It's okay, you can pretend you're above it, but it is incredible. I just want to show you a short clip uh, from an episode of Storage Wars that I watched recently um, where something marvelous happened. This is a real Frank Gutierrez. This thing could be worth thousands. There's hundreds of Frank Gutierrez paintings. So I called an expert to come check them out. Well, it absolutely is Frank Gutierrez. Frank Gutierrez. Yes. You have a tremendous amount of Frank Gutierrez's work. This is deep. You have to understand what the symbols are. And if you could read the symbols, you'll understand his story. And that's half the fun. I kind of feel it, you know what I mean? It's cool. It really is. It just really resonates around me. Is this stuff worth anything? Considering the amount of work that I see all around this room, I would say that you have maybe about 300,000. Congratulations. Hold on just a minute. $300,000? Okay, we can stop it there. We can stop it there. It's not. Much as it would be great to just continue watching Darrow on Stories Wars for the next half an hour. I love that story. He bought this uh, locker for $3,000 and within it he found all these pictures and paintings and stuff wrapped up, took them to an expert and it turned out it was worth more than $300,000. He basically invested something and what he got back in return was more than he could ever have dreamed of. And I think with Darrow in this moment, it's really similar to the invitation Jesus has given us day by day. He's asking us to say yes to him day by day. We invest our lives with him day by day, having no idea where that adventure is going to take us, having no idea what it's going to look like, but knowing that it's going to be good. And John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus promises us life to the full. And so when we give him our yes day by day, we can be guaranteed that it is going to be worth much more than the little investment of our lives that we give him. Saying yes to Jesus is so important. Continually saying yes. Peter, James, and John, they had a choice to accept the invitation. They could have said no, but they didn't, and they were brought into this marvelous adventure with Jesus. And I wonder why the others didn't go on the mountain with them. We can only speculate. We're not told. We don't know if Peter, James, and John were the only ones invited, or if they were the only ones to to say yes to the six o'clock in the morning wake-up call to go and climb a mountain and pray with Jesus. We don't know. But what we do know is that they said yes. Can you imagine if they'd said no and maybe Peter had said, oh, I'm actually really busy today and I I don't want to go and he'd come later and the guys come down off the mountain later on, all faces all shining with glory. They're like, you never guess. We've just met Moses and Elijah and God himself on top of the mountain. He would have been absolutely devastated, wouldn't he? been like, oh, the the extra half an hour sleep wasn't worth it. Or the 20 minutes in front of the TV pales in comparison. Or... Whatever it was that he was doing just couldn't match up to what Jesus had for him. They went to pray, but they saw the glory of God. And I think for us today as Jesus followers, we face that same decision daily, don't we? If we follow Jesus, we've given him our ultimate yes. We said, yes, Jesus, you can have our lives. But what follows from that is a day-by-day decision to give him our yes afresh, to say yes to the adventure he has with us, to say yes to what he is calling us into, to say yes to climbing the mountain and seeing the glory of God descend. One theologian puts it like this, faith in Jesus Christ is not just a one-time choice, but a lifetime challenge. So today, Jesus is stretching out a hand to you today. 
to each and every one of us. Are we willing to say yes and accept his invitation afresh each day, not knowing what is to come, but knowing it is life to the full? So that's the first thing that we learn from this encounter. The second thing that we learn in this encounter is uh, that this is an equipping moment for Jesus, that time in the Father's presence is an encounter that equips Jesus for what is to come. We see Jesus' divinity revealed in this moment. We see him revealed as the Son of God, as part of the Holy Trinity. But what we also see in this moment is that the Father speaks directly to his humanity. He speaks to him as a human. This is my Son, who I love so much. Listen to him. He speaks right into the the heart of who he was as a human, not just to the heart of who he was as God. And the words of the Father, so lovingly spoken over the Son, become the fuel for the fire that allows Jesus to go on and finish the mission that lies out ahead of him. He knows that coming is pain and abandonment uh, and ultimately death. And this moment on the mountain, where they go from this moment is that they descend the mountain and walk into Jerusalem where the whole uh, trial uh, begins and the mockery and the scorn and finally the execution of Jesus happens. So this is like his final big equipping moment with the Father. And God gives him everything he needs and those words spoken over him to carry him all the way through to the cross. He demonstrates a way of living as a Christian in these moments that allows us to thrive and not just survive, scraping from one little strand of hope to the next. Um, When I lived in Glasgow, uh, the church that we used to go to, we used to take away uh, 80 kids from our local community every year to a scripture union camp, uh, which was basically we took them away to a big house in the middle of the country and they did rock climbing and abseiling and surfing and crazy golf and all kinds of stuff for a week. Um, But the church where we were in was in a really rough area uh, and so Uh, we used to send out an equipment list, a suggested equipment list to parents and carers and guardians in advance of what was to come because we wanted to make sure the kids got there with everything they got. So we put on there things like a sleeping bag and a torch and lots of change of clothing and a few different pairs of shoes. We put a whole bunch of stuff in there and send it out. Anyway, this one year, this little boy came to camp and and he said on the first night, we got ready for the first activities and he said, "Uh, Scott, I don't have a torch or a rain jacket. And I was like, okay, you don't have a torch or a rain jacket. I was like, well, let's go. We'll go to your dorm. We'll find out what you do have. And then we can give you some stuff from the the, the supplies and the lost property and stuff like that to fill you out for the week. Anyway, I opened this kid's bag, massive big rucksack. And inside it, I kid you not, was the following items. Three pairs of shorts, two t-shirts, some underwear, some socks, one pair of trainers. That was in the sort of this quarter of the bag and then the other three quarters of the bag were taken up with a 24 pack of iron brew (laughs) a 24 multi-pack of walker's crisps a handheld playstation and five packets of cigarettes that was the supplies for the rest of the week we're all over on this side of the room he was completely unprepared for the week. He was completely, uh, just, he wouldn't have been able to do anything. He didn't have long sleeves to go rock climbing. He didn't have a change of shoes. He didn't have swimming shorts to do anything. And so we had to sort of go around camp and cobble a whole bunch of stuff together for him. And eventually we got enough stuff together for him to take part in most of the stuff. You see, in time with the Father, that is where we get equipped for life. When we spend time in God's presence, that is where we get everything that we need to, to go where he is asking us to go. So we don't turn up to the moments he's asking us to unequipped like this kid was for camp. It's in those moments he gives us everything that we need to go on the adventure that he's calling us into. 
time in his presence is so important. I think in, in this moment, God equips Jesus in three different ways in the words that he speaks over him. And I think when we have encounters with God, he wants to speak these three same things over us today. The first thing is this identification. The first words that the father speaks over the son is, this is my son. This is my son. Could have said to Jesus, you are my son. And I think when we spend time with the father, he allows us to build our identification, not on what the world would say about us, not on what we think about ourselves when we're having a bad day or a good day, not on what our family have grown up telling us, but it's words spoken straight from the father. It says, this is my son. You are my daughter. That is our kingdom identity. And in moments with the father, we give him the, the opportunity to speak that identification over us afresh each day. The second thing that he does is he provides affirmation for Jesus. The next words that he speaks are, whom I love. He affirms the son with his love. He publicly declares his uh, undying love for his son in front of everyone who's on the mountaintop. Can you imagine being Jesus in that moment, knowing that death and destruction are what's lying ahead, and suddenly the Father speaks words of whom I love? And I think that particularly resonates today on Father's Day. Some of us in this room will have had brilliant fathers growing up who, who were excellent, who weren't perfect, but who loved as well. Some of us in this room may have never known our fathers growing up. Some of us uh, will be desperate to be fathers. Some of us will have known uh, horrible and abusive fathers. But I think in this passage, we see God being our ultimate father who longs to speak words of love and affirmation and encouragement and acceptance and grace over us day by day. The importance of being in his presence is allowing him the opportunity to speak right to our heart, to speak to the places where earthly words have brought hurt and pain and where only his words can bring uh, healing and joy and delight. Being in his presence is vital. And then the final part that he speaks uh, over Jesus' instruction, he finishes with the words, it's such a short sentence, isn't it? This is my son, whom I love. And he finishes with, listen to him. I think the final words are more for the benefit of the disciples. Jesus has been telling them for ages, like, I am the Messiah, but I need to go to the cross and die so that everything can come to pass. And this is the disciples' moment to finally get that jaw on the floor moment. Oh, we get it now. You have to die. The father speaks instruction. But for Jesus as well, it's like a confirmation that everything he's doing is right. Saying what you're saying, what you've been speaking about, where you're heading, that's right. These guys need to listen to you because that is right. And I think for us, when we get in the presence of the father, he wants to speak those words of instruction to us. How often in life can we empathize with the disciples when we're a bit frightened and we don't know what to say or what to do or where we're going. And it's in those moments that the father brings instruction to us. He says, hey, why don't you go here today? Or I'm giving you a heart for these people. Go and spend time with them. Go and love them in, a, in an extraordinary way. Or it might just be something as simple as you spot somebody at a bus stop and they're like, God's saying, go and pray with that person. They need a touch from me today. Practically, then what does it look like for us uh, to pursue his presence in a way where we can be equipped? I think it looks like being in God's word 
each day. It looks like us opening the Bible and hearing from him, uh, from uh, Holy Spirit inspired uh, life breathed words of the Bible. I think it looks like us carving out moments of solitude in the day that we're not so busy running from thing to thing to thing to thing that we never stop for a moment and hear God's voice speaking to us and amongst the busyness and the stress. I think it looks like our prayer lives uh, not to be a one minute shopping list at the end of the day, but to be a constant conversation with our father throughout the day, constantly dialoguing with him. God, what have you got for me today? God, who are you today? What are you speaking about me today? We can't expect to be equipped if we're never uh, in the presence of the Father. We can't expect to be given all that we need to do this journey well if we never spend more than 30 seconds or a minute with him. It's about carving out time to allow him to speak into our identity, to affirm us and to give us our instructions for where we're going to go. Church, are we going to rise to the challenge of pursuing the Father with all we have so we can so we can be equipped to bring this city all it needs. And the final thing from this passage that we learn about an equipping encounter with God, um, we learn from Peter. Um, I feel a bit sorry for Peter. I feel like he's been getting a, a bit of a bum deal if you've been in the church the last few weeks. We kind of pick up on Peter time and time again because he's constantly putting his foot in his mouth and doing something he shouldn't. I don't know about you guys, I completely empathize with Peter. Every time I read Peter saying something, I'm like, Oh, Peter, I'm with you, brother. I know what it feels like. And he doesn't disappoint again this week. They're on top of the mountain. The Lord himself is there. Um, Moses has appeared. Elijah is there. Jesus is there. Uh, Peter's like thunderstruck. Says they're so frightened they didn't know what to say. And usually in that situation, if you don't know what to say, you'd probably just remain silent, wouldn't you? I would imagine like if God's presence was right there with you, you'd sort of just be like, I'll wait until he says something here before I do anything. But Peter's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm going to come right in here. And he gives it the big, do you want me to pitch three tents for you guys? I'm assuming he doesn't have tents with him at this moment. Like, I don't think he's brought tents with him. So that makes it seem all the sillier in the moment where he's like, why don't we just pitch three tents? You know, I'll cobble something together, Bear grill style, and we'll set up some tents. He just reads the moment so wrong. He just gets it so wrong. It says he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. And I think the good thing is Peter recognizes the importance of this moment. He recognizes who it is who's with him. He recognizes it's God the Father and Moses and Elijah. He wants to mark the moment. He wants to make it this extraordinary moment. He wants it to be a moment that doesn't finish. But Jesus is saying to him, Peter, you can't pitch a tent here because we can't stay on the mountain. Peter wants to pitch a tent and stay in this place forever he'd probably build a house there if he could get away with it and just stay in that moment but Jesus doesn't want to stay on the mountain because if he stays on the mountain the world never gets to experience the grace of the father if he stays on the mountain the world never gets to experience the extraordinary hope that's to come if he stays on the mountain the world does not get to meet the father face to face through the sacrifice of the son he cannot stay on the mountain um, in 2012, you may remember, uh, London hosted an Olympics. It was the first time there was an Olympics in British soil for many, many, many years. Um, 
And it felt like quite a big deal. I don't, did anyone else feel like weirdly patriotic around the Olympics time? Did you start getting like, just me, nobody else, a few people? I started to feel like weirdly like, oh, this is, this is cool. This is our country. We're hosting an Olympics. This is awesome. Um, and there was something even more significant about it for me in that uh, for some reason, the, the FAs of football associations of Scotland, Ireland, England, and Wales came together and entered a joint football team in the Olympics, I think for the first time ever. It had never happened before. Usually we didn't enter an Olympic football team because basically none of the FAs got on with each other and they didn't want to like work out how to put their players in the same teams. But for this time, because it was happening on British soil, we had an Olympic football team. And I was like, this is amazing. Now, the actual result of it was they got papped out in the first round, I think. They did terribly. It was an absolute shambles. They didn't get anywhere near the final. But uh, we had a British Olympic football top. Now, I am a bit of a football top connoisseur, and I was like, this is a big moment. So I went online, and I bought my British Olympic football top. And when it arrived, I had every intention of wearing it to play football. I was like, this is going to be amazing. I'll get my Olympics football top on. It would be brilliant. But as it arrived, a little thought occurred in my head, and it went like this. Someday this will be worth some money. That's what occurred in the back of my head. And so I didn't, I didn't use it. I didn't use my Olympic football top. It has followed us from four houses now, and I've never worn it to play football. It still sits in a drawer in my house. Occasionally I bring it out and put it on and think, I could wear it just now, but I don't. It keeps going back in the drawer. I've never used it to play football. And the reality is, in, in maybe 20 or 30 years' time, it will be worth about £10 more than what I paid for it. And I'll have missed out on the joy of getting to wear it and run around and have fun and use it for what it was supposed to be being used for. I think Peter, in this moment, completely overwhelmed, completely unaware and unsure about what's going on, makes a similar mistake. He's all for pitching tents and staying in the presence of the Lord. And, and Jesus is saying to him, this isn't something to be held and kept in a display cabinet and never uh, used. It's not to be like uh, fond over a moment in the presence of God. This is to be taken out of the display cabinet, run into the world and handed out to as many people as you can. Peter, you cannot stay on the mountain. Can you imagine uh, ladies in the room buying a dress for a very special occasion and it is an amazing dress? And it looks brilliant on you, but the dress is the most beautiful dress you've ever seen. And rather than wearing it to the places that you're going to go, you just think, I'm never going to wear this. I'm just going to put it in a cabinet at my house. I'm going to look at it every now and again and just admire its beauty. It would be wasted, wouldn't it? It would be wasted. It's not designed to stay here. It's be designed to be taken out and enjoyed by the world. Jesus recognizes the importance of time with the Father. He carves out intentional time to scale the mountain to be equipped by him, to hear his words of affirmation and identification and instruction spoken over him. But in this moment, what he's doing is demonstrating a pattern of living for us as followers of Jesus. We have to have moments on the mountain with the Lord where we're equipped and encouraged and emboldened. But then we have to come straight back down off the mountain and get back into the world and bring the hope and the love and the peace and the joy that can only come from us as followers of Jesus back into this world. If we only ever meet with Jesus at home or behind these four walls on a Sunday and nobody in our lives receives the kingdom benefits of knowing an on-fire Christian, we've missed it. We've missed the point. We've missed what Jesus is demonstrating for us. Jesus, uh, after he'd risen from the dead, calls the disciples to a mountain in Galilee and he says this to them. 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The risen Jesus, the Jesus who had gone to the cross, who had died, who looked like a massive defeat, but had risen from the grave three days later and come back to life, defeated death, was here speaking to the disciples. He'd called them. He's demonstrating the same pattern again. He calls them to a mountain. They meet with him. He gives them instruction, encouragement, equipment, and then he sends them into the world again. That is the pattern for us as followers. We need to have time with the Father in here, intentionally with him, spending time on the mountaintop. But then we get straight back over here into the world and we pour out everything that he's put on our hearts, all, all that he's spoken to us, our love, our generosity, our grace, our hope into the world round about us. And then we go straight back to the mountain again. We spend time with the Father, we're equipped, we're encouraged, we're emboldened, and we get back out in the world again. Jesus demonstrates this pattern in this moment with the disciples. And so a great question for us to ask ourselves today is, is my balance of time with the Father and time with the world good? Am I spending too much time with, uh, behind the walls of my house and is nobody really benefiting from what I'm spe- seeing in my time with the Father? Or equally the other way around, am I spending so much time in the world and hardly any time with God that actually it's the people in my life who are molding and shaping me and speaking the words that hit home in my heart rather than the Father? It's about a balance up on the mountain, back in the world. Up on the mountain, back in the world. The equipping encounter with the Lord required an acceptance of an invitation. It brought about a refreshing and an equipping that filled Jesus to go where God had called him to go. Are we saying yes to the invitation that Jesus is extending us today? Are we finding time to be filled and equipped on the mountaintop so that we can be sent back into the world to bring the good news of a risen Jesus to everyone who needs it? Why don't we stand and we'll pray together?